Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. Coming up in just a few minutes, I have a special warning for you about buying principally electronics and to a lesser extent, designer goods online. I'm going to hit you with that just a little while. And then later yet, if you have a sense that the caliber of service has declined when you go shopping, well, it's not your imagination. It really has. And I'll tell you where apparently it's gotten the most awful over the last few years. So right now, I want to talk about something about your life. How long you're going to live? Well, it's all mathematical probabilities. So nobody can say precisely how long any of us are going to be here. But there are certain things that came through a study by the American Heart Association which are really important and things to think about. So if you, as a man at age 50, are doing the five things I'm going to tell you in a second, it can lead to 10, I'm sorry, to 12 extra years of life for you. The five things I'm about to tell you could lead to 14 years of extra life for a woman. Now, they are number one, and I get at best a D on this, is eating right. My wife would say I get an F. Number two, exercising regularly. I get an A++ on that. Maintaining a healthy body weight, not smoking, and what's referred to as moderate alcohol consumption, which I think means a drink a day or less is what would be considered to be moderate. So if you think about those five things, and I'll repeat them very quickly, moderate alcohol consumption, not smoking, getting your body weight right, exercising regularly, and eating healthy, those five things are the greatest predictors of long life. And not everybody wants to live a long life. Some people are like, hey, I'm going to party while I'm here and forget about it how long I'm on earth. But it's up to you. And, you know, these things are easy to say, I can tell you with doing the eating healthy thing, well, that's not easy for me. I grew up believing there were certain food groups, fried, carry out, ice cream. Those were my three primary food groups. How many food groups are there? Well, those were my primary. And so it's been a work in progress to improve my eating habits, but it's clear that those changes I named are very, very important for you to have a longer, healthier life. By the way, this is sobering. 
the United States now ranks 43rd in life expectancy, according to a source USA Today quoted, the CIA's World Factbook, we're now in 43rd place. Now, that would mean that we are behind roughly 30 third world countries in life expectancy in the United States. And that's not great. So what does that mean in numbers? It means that the average person in the United States lives roughly a decade less than people do in the healthiest countries. So that's so that's a number to deal with. So, Joel, you're 34. What to you would be the lifespan you would like? What age would you be comfortable expiring? Oh, man, 85? That sounds pretty good. Kim, I won't state your age because you're a lady. But <laughs> I am a 46-year-old lady, and I'm with Joel, man. 85 sounds, anything after 85, I'll consider a bonus. So for me, seeing my kids grown, that for me is the quality of life thing I'm looking for. So it's, it's more than a number. It's, uh, you know, it's an event. It was funny. I had a guy come up to me. I think I told this story on the air like 15 years ago. I was walking with my middle child who was, yeah, she was probably around three. She was preschool age. And this guy comes up to me and he was furious at me, furious. And he was really angry because he had heard me say something on the air about my uh, poor eating habits. And I've never seen this guy before or since. And pretty aggressive, he says, do you want to walk this little girl down the aisle? I'm like, well, she's three. I'm not like thinking. I was missing the point. And he's like, if you don't change how you eat, you're never going to be alive to walk her down the aisle. And I've always remembered him saying that. And I've always thought about that, that, that at least remaining on planet Earth till my kids are adults, till they're grown, that to me is like, the standard that I will know I've lived to the point that I know I've done what I needed to do. So he would say, I need to eat better. I don't know. There need to be at least a few years of Grandpa Clark in there, too, I think. Maybe. That'd be cool. What's that you say? (laughs) (laughs) Joe joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Joe. Hi, Clark. How are you doing? Great. Thank you, Joe. So what age do you want to live to? Oh, gosh. 85 sounds good to me, I suppose. I wonder if people were surveyed at different decades of their lives, what age they would say they want to live to. I wonder what somebody who's 83 would say, (laughs) how long they want to live. They're probably ready to go by that point. (laughs) Maybe, maybe not. (laughs) So, Joe, how can I be of service to you? Uh, I just had a question about uh, my credit scores. It's kind of interesting. My FICO score is 70 points higher than the other ones. The Vantage score? None of them are bad. Yeah. So what is your FICO? What's your Vantage? Okay, so FICO is uh, 814 and Vantage is 744. Okay, so let me first explain what the deal is. So FICO is the recognized 
credit score used by almost all lenders. The three major credit bureaus, Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian, hated that the information they collected on credit reports was then used by this other company, uh, FICO, used to be known as Fair Isaac, and that that's who the lenders were paying. So Equifax, TransUnion, and uh, Experian were able to, and I don't understand why this wasn't an antitrust thing, but they were able to form their own new company called Vantage. And what they're trying to do is get lenders to stop using Fair Isaac as the scoring model, the FICO score, and instead use Vantage. And they each crunch the information about you differently. The The math formulas they use are different. So a Vantage score being that much lower than a FICO score is surprising to me, but not unprecedented. Do you know, did FICO give you reasons why your score was where they where they are and then Vantage give you score reasons why your score was so much lower? No, I have, I have no idea how they're uh, both calculating it. All right. Um, Do you have your credit frozen or no? No, uh, I just moved into a new place, so I had to make sure it was unfrozen for that. All right, so what so I'd like you step. to do is sign up for Credit Karma and Credit Sesame, mm-hmm. and they will give you information about how what the breakdown is in your score and how it is where it is. And the 744 is a great score by itself. The 814 makes you what they call in lending circles a golden borrower. So there is a meaningful gap that that would keep you from being the absolute lowest credit risk borrower there is if a lender was using Vantage, where if a lender was using FICO, you would be looked at as the best kind of borrower out there. So knowing what the things are that that are affecting your score would be really good and if you use my if you use credit karma and credit sesame which are both free services they'll be able to guide you along that path and i'm trying to remember if credit karma uses the vantage scoring system or they use their own proprietary but it'd be interesting um, to see where they show your score versus what you just gave me with the spread between uh, FICO and Vantage. I think theirs was 742. Um, I, I checked Credit Karma. I haven't checked Credit Sesame. Okay. So I don't know what the factors are leading to it being so much higher, but as you read the briefings on Credit Karma that led to that 742, they'll tell you where you're getting essentially penalized on your score. Gotcha. Okay. Sounds good, Clark. All right. And by the way, do you know you don't have one FICO score? You have dozens of FICO scores? I didn't know that. I think the one I saw was based on TransUnion 8 or something like that. Yeah. So this is where where it gets really confusing is FICO has a score from each credit bureau, and then there are different versions of FICO for a mortgage, for car loans, for uh, so many different things you do, so there's not a FICO score. It's kind of like uh, taking your temperature with any credit score. But 
you should expect more consistency between different models than what you have illustrated to me right here. And yes, the one from Credit Karma is based using the Vantage scoring model. So uh, that would give you the ability on Credit Karma to figure out what things you would need to do to give a booster shot to that Vantage score. Dan is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Dan. Hey, Clark. Thanks for having my call. Sure, Dan. You have four kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A unique situation. How sure. old are they? <laughs> I have a, a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and now two months. Wow. So pretty much two years apart for each. That's amazing oh. family planning. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. That was kind of the goal. Yeah, and my wife was driving that fourth one, so... We, uh, we decided to do it where we were financially. It made sense. So, uh, But it does change my game plan a little bit. I've been trying to follow some of your advice, you know, listen through the years of things that you've been talking about with 529s and Roths and using your IRAs and or your, um, your 401ks to work. And so I, I kind of had a game plan, right? I, uh, using my company match for my 401k, I've uh, done some 529s uh, local to my state for my two oldest. And then I didn't want to put all my eggs in one basket, so I decided to, with my third, uh, just do an online savings account uh, with a higher return. And now with the fourth, I'm like, okay, where where do I go now? <laughs> okay, so, so I would say let's reset on the third one. Okay. And I would do a 529 for the third one as well and not do the savings. Okay. Because okay. with you having a three-year-old who's got 15 years till that three-year-old enters college, 15, 16 years, yeah. you need the growth that'll come in a 529 plan that you're sure. not going to get out of a savings account. Even with the, the possibility that I may not need, you know, somebody may have scholarships or whatnot, and you know, what if we don't use one of the 529s if I have three? Sure. So what you could do is you diss the two-month-old. <laughs> yeah. And you have 529s for the three, um, for the seven-year-old, five-year-old, and three-year-old. Yeah. And if one of them does scholarship out, doesn't need the money, you tax and penalty-free can move the benefit of that to another child. Sure, sure. So three for four would work fine. My other question, though, around that, does it make more sense if I started a Roth? I mean, yes. I only have a 401k. Yes, so unless there's a state tax deduction in your state for putting money into a 529 plan, a Roth is a better choice because it gives you more flexibility. It grows tax-free. You can pull your contributions out for college purposes. And if you're not maxing out a Roth, that would be a superior choice to doing either the savings account or doing a 529 account for child three or four. Okay. So the Roth is, everything in life always comes back to Roth. Whatever the question is, Roth is ultimately the answer. You may not be aware that half of the items you buy on Amazon, if you're an Amazon shopper, are not actually being sold by Amazon. They're being sold in what's known as the Amazon marketplace by third-party sellers. And an investigation by the Guardian newspaper found that a long-running problem at Amazon is still present, and that is massive amounts of counterfeit goods being sold in the Amazon marketplace. And this problem 
has been one that Amazon has been sued over, Amazon has worked on over the years, but has not been able to prevent. And there are two areas in particular on Amazon that you've got to know are the areas where you have the greatest likelihood of buying counterfeits. One, any electronics item being sold as an Amazon marketplace item instead of by Amazon directly, particularly if it says it's Apple and could be a counterfeit. Second, designer clothing and accessories. Very common, they will be counterfeit. Be aware, be careful thinking you're getting a great deal when you're not. Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show where you learn ways to keep more of what you make. You know how people say service isn't like it used to be? And often that's our perception, not reality. But there's one sector where we spend our money where it is true. The Wall Street Journal did an analysis of major retailers and found that it really is true that they have greatly reduced the number of people on the floor there to help you. Macy's, according to the Wall Street Journal numbers, in a decade got rid of 52,000 workers and did not fill them fill those positions when they got rid of them. 52,000 positions gone. J.C. Penney has had workers disappear at a huge rate and we're able to crunch this into actual numbers according to the journal jc penny now has 112 workers per store versus 145 10 years ago and store after store after store has reduced headcount on the floor and retailers will try to fool themselves into thinking that technology is taking care of it or who knows what is taking care of it. But think about when you go in a store and you're looking for someone to help you and there's just nobody to help. I read an item in here about Dick's Sporting Goods, which had reduced headcount for a decade And now they're adding people back, increasing headcount by 10%. Because the CEO realized, based on his own experience as a shopper at other stores, that you got to make sure the experience is okay for the customer. And there's a store that I'll go to that uh, I think I'm going to let it remain nameless this time, but... You push a button when you're looking for somebody to help you, and it's like a joke because you can push the button over and over and over again, and it'll say something like, an associate will be with you in 30 seconds or something like that, and it's just a big fat lie because they're so short-staffed, you just don't get the help. And what happens is people abandon the purchase. What percent of people? Okay, just under 90% of consumers say they've left a store simply because of long lines in the store. Think about that. 
Think about what a hassle checkout is. And I'll tell you, I do that a lot. I'll be in a store and I'll have a few items and I'll see that it's going to take me from here to tomorrow to check out. And I check out without the merchandise. I'm gone. Christine is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Christine. Hi, Clark. How are you today? Wonderful. Thank you. So what's going on with you? Okay. My son has inherited a beater car from his grandmother. It works, but it rattles and it's not very pretty. Uh Uh-oh. How old is this beater car? Uh, it's a 2002, so... No way, no way. I love that. 16-year-old <laughs> car. Which is almost as old as the car I'm driving, but it, it's paid for. Wonderful. How many miles does this O2 have on it? I would say probably about 120. Gosh, that's not a lot of miles. Not too much, no. All right. Well, well, this sounds great so far for your son. It is. Um, uh, so the good news and bad news is he's starting college in the fall, and I found out from them parking's very limited, so it's unlikely that um, he'll get a parking space if he brings it. So it doesn't make sense for him to take the car to college. So what? what is How does he feel about that not making sense? Uh, he's okay with it. He's a pretty mellow kid. You know, I've got an 18-year-old going off to college, and she emphatically does not want a car at college. And I, I was surprised by that. But I, I am too. <laughs> so we um, both have kids who are going to have to rely on other people to get around. And I think they'll be just fine. Exactly. <laughs> okay, so what is this economically sensible thing to do with the car while he's gone? The college isn't terribly far away, so he'll be home at Christmas and summer. You know, it'll be great then for him to, again, drive around for work. But while he's gone, it's just going to sit in the driveway, and now it's just a liability. Sure, and how much is the insurance on it? I don't know off the top of my head. Um, But given that it's so old, it's liability insurance, so it's not terrible. And having him off of my car and onto this older car is uh, economically good for us because it puts him on the cheaper car. Except if he's off at college, how many miles away will he be at school? Oh, he's just an hour and a half away. So is he about 100 miles away, something like that? Yeah, let's say 100 miles. So it depends on the insurer. You might be able to eliminate any insurance cost with this car not being driven and Mm -hmm. just have it sit there without him being... A uh, an insured household driver at all, and only an occasional driver when he's home at vacations. Okay, very good. And that is something that, do you have an individual insurance agent you talk to or a toll-free number insurance company? I have a real person I talk to. So I would talk to the real person, go over the scenario and see um, what the best thing to do. Well, your son's at college. Will anybody be driving this O2 car or will it just sit? It will just sit. Right. So depending on the rules in your state, you may be able to have it parked without insurance um, most of the time and, you know, suspend the policy. And this is where your agent will be very important mm-hmm. because there's not really a practical way with an O2 
to put it on something like Toro where you could rent it out to other people or anything like that? Oh, no. So if it's just going to sit, you want to make it as uh, little a pinch on your wallet as possible. And this is one of those cases where having an agent that you have a relationship with that you can call him or her is really going to benefit you. Fantastic. And once your son's off at school, your agent will be able to tell you if the distance this school is away from your house is far enough that he doesn't have to count anymore as a household driver. Okay. And then the car will just sit till he comes home next summer, and then, well, you'll have to insure it again for the period of time he's home from school. Brock is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Brock. Hi, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Brock. You have a question for me about favorite children, don't you? Sorry, I, I actually don't. You don't? No. What's I your have, question uh, about? I, I'm wondering. So my wife and I just built uh, in September of last year, and uh, we mortgaged 325000 and we're... We've already paid off 115, so we still owe 210 on it. Wait, wait, wait! You paid. Let me follow this again. You paid off a third, more than a third of the money you borrowed in how many months? Uh, like half a year. Okay, you're a maniac, and good for you. (laughs) Yeah, we're well. I'm 27. She's 26. We just both moved out of our parents' house, so we we stayed at home and. I saved up as much as we could before we built. So, yeah, thank you. Wow, that's tremendous. Um, and we still actually have 60000 in our savings account, and we want to keep twenty five as an emergency fund. That gets us past six months of, of expenses. So we're thinking twenty five is safe. Um, and we're trying to decide what to do with the extra thirty five. We could either throw it all at the mortgage right away, um, but we're kind of thinking of investing in a taxable account with one of the robo-advisor companies. Yeah, see, that's um, the part. You missed what I was saying to be queued up for. Oh, sorry. Robo-advisors, yeah. you know, my favorite children, you know. So, oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I didn't get that. So uh, which ones are you thinking of? I'm thinking of Wealthfront and Betterment. Gosh, I mean, they, they are favorite children of mine. They they really both pioneered the robo-investing thing. They're both ultra-low cost, about a quarter of a point, I guess. Mm-hmm. And um, they're, I mean, I can't really decide between the two of them. It's just, it's really almost a flip of a coin, whichever the two of them you like more. Because they're building portfolios for you based on what your goals and objectives are. But I've got to back up to something you said in a hurry that I need to ask you about. So you said in a taxable account, what are the two of you doing saving and retirement accounts? How do you do that? Yeah, so she's putting about 8% into her 401k, um, and I'm self-employed um so i'm maxing out a roth ira which i actually just started towards the beginning of 2017 so i maxed out 2017 all right how many um, employees do you have as a self-employed individual just me 
All right, I'm then, looking to possibly hire soon, but it's just me. All right, so there's things you can do as a one-person company that I'd like you to look at before you do uh, after-tax investing, like you'd be doing okay. with Betterment or Wealthfront. You have the option of doing a SEP, Simplified Employee Pension, that allows you to put aside, uh, since you're such max savers, you can put aside up to 25% of what you're making in your business as a self-employed individual into a SEP and build up long-term pre-tax money like your wife would be doing in a 401k. Now, is that, there's probably rules just like a 401k or a Roth IRA where if we wanted to access that money, like, the reason we're considering Wealthfront and Betterment is because we're thinking after 10 years, 12 years, if we can get maybe an 8% return on average, it can help us pay off our mortgage even faster. Or if we want to retire early, we don't want to have to pay a penalty because we, we kind of feel with retirement calculators, we're already okay with her contributions, plus she has a Roth and I also have a Roth. Okay. Um, all right. So if you so, if you want to do an investment account, uh, you might instead of doing Wealthfront or Betterment, you may find since it's a taxable account that you want to do straight index funds that you come up with a portfolio of that you keep static that you just put the money into because if you're in something that's a robo and it's being um, they're rebalancing it over time. That will mm-hmm. that will generate potential taxable events over the years that you'd avoid if you just did a well diversified portfolio of index funds. Got it. And so, if okay. you took money as an example at Vanguard, and you put money in the total stock market index fund, and you put money in an international index fund, and you put one in the emerging markets index fund, you put money in those, and um, you diversify your money across the globe with investing, I think that that would be a better strategy for your taxable account because you generate uh, essentially no tax liability of any note each year. And then when you go to sell it down the road, if you want to sell not based on uh, normal retirement age, you're subject to much more favorable capital gains tax. I understand. So in your case, doing a robo would probably not be my favorite idea. But congratulations to both of you for the intensity of how you save money and are building for the future. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. 
Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Rodney is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Rodney. Hey, Clark. It's an honor to speak with you. Well, great to have you here. And you've decided it's time to jump in the credit card pool. Yeah, um, all these years of not knowing too much about them or being afraid of having a credit card, I kind of figured it's time. Um, I was in the process. I'm in the latter stages of buying a home and figured out that I could have gotten a better rate with a few points higher. So, so uh, how have you established your credit score to this point that they're basing you buying a home on? What kind of borrowing have you done in the past? Have you borrowed for a car loan or? student loans or what kind of things have you done right yeah i have uh student loans accounts student loan accounts that i'm current on and uh, also an auto loan so those are the things your credit score was based on and uh, what kind of general range credit score did they find for you when you were applying for the mortgage i'm in the lower 700s so not terrible no that's great Give yourself credit. That's, that's more than... <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, you know, anything above 680 puts you into a territory where you have good credit, and then as you move higher in the 700s, you go from good to excellent to outstanding. So don't apply for any credit card till after you have moved into your home. Oh, definitely, yeah. Because an application yeah, for a credit card while you're doing the mortgage process would devastate you on the mortgage so gotcha what do you think your charge volume will be a month if you were to take a wild guess i mean i'm, I'm pretty frugal slash cheap good i don't see myself using it for more than just gas and groceries i kind of want some good reward points and you know cashback programs or whatever are you a member of sam's club or costco wholesale uh, Sam's Club, yes. Get their Sam's Club MasterCard after you buy your home. Okay. Because it pays, I'm trying to remember, it's 4 or 5% cash back on gasoline, 3% on restaurants, uh, trying to remember, I think it's 2% on Sam's. I'm trying to remember how all the deals are, but it's um, it's a good everyday use cash reward card. And there's no annual fee. Okay. Any any suggestions for any like um, if I were to go the airline route, get travel don't points, don't any? do the airline route. Don't do it. Okay. No, because the airline cards, unless you're charging massive volumes of dollars, it's just not worth it having one of the airline cards. You know, it's very it's great to daydream about all the places you'd go on those miles, but generally they're just a waste of your time. Now, the only potential advantage are the sign-up bonuses that you could get several free trips out. But for long-term use, the airline cards are not a good value, good value, a good buy. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast of our show, I'd love it if you'd subscribe. Whatever your favorite podcast app is, we're pretty much there. And whether you love what you hear from me or hate it, take time to write a review. It's how we all learn from each other is from those reviews. 